It's been almost two months since we launched She Launch, and you know when you love something so much that you want to do it every single day? That is me on the coaching calls inside She Launch. I literally want to do them every single day. I love it. And for those of you that have not heard of She Launch, it is for female coaches, consultants, and service providers who are wanting to earn six figures online with their dream business. Inside, we teach sales, marketing, leads, mindset, AI, offer mastery, and so much more. We also have just launched the She Launch CRM. Yep, we have our very own amazing CRM now, which I'm so excited about. Now, I believe this is the best online business and mindset training for female entrepreneurs, but don't take my word for it. Here is what Eilish has to say about it. The community is absolutely incredible as well. That's another thing that I really love about SheLaunch. Again, I've been in masterminds where the community's been either dead in the water or it's just had a weird vibe. (laughs) And with SheLaunch, the community is nurturing. They're really kind to each other. They're so supportive. And you feel like you are part of something really special. So if you are thinking about joining, jump on a call and then see what you think, because I know that you won't be disappointed. And this is what Rita thinks. I have absolutely loved every second of the She Launch program. I cannot explain how deeply transformative it has been for me personally. I am eternally grateful. It is worth every cent and I would highly recommend it to anybody. And here's what Belinda thinks. Signing up for She Launch is one of the best decisions I ever made. The content is extensive and groundbreaking amazing. Uh, Melissa and all the team are so supportive, helpful, always there for you and really loving kindness. Plus the connections I've made with the ladies that are in the group have been exceptional. We're all a team. We all support each other. If you're going to do something, sign up for She Launch. It's amazing. Babe, I would love and be honoured to work with you. All you have to do is head to shelaunch.com for all the details. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Head to shelaunch.com and I cannot wait to meet you. This is episode number 396 with Simon Hill. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Guess what, my friends? My third physical book, Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy, is out right now. I am so excited and I cannot wait for you to read it. Honestly, I could not be more proud of Comparisonitis. 
number one New York Times best-selling author and social media sensation Jay Shetty said, never before has a book been more needed. Future generations will thank Melissa for shining a spotlight on comparisonitis. And multiple New York Times best-selling author Gabby Bernstein said, since Melissa refers to people who have recovered from comparisonitis as unicorns, I suppose that makes this book a sort of unicorn training manual. I'm so grateful that such a manual has arrived. It's been infinitely helpful to me. My hope is that the same holds true for you. If you want to finally free yourself from comparison, fall madly in love with yourself and experience genuine deep happiness like never before, this book is for you. If you want to be a better friend, partner, parent, family member, colleague, or human, if you want to experience genuine happiness, have more energy to go after the things that truly matter to you, if you want to free yourself from expectations, unleash your creativity, feel more liberated than you've ever felt before in your life, be free to live your life for you and no one else, feel peace deep from within, truly appreciate your body and your life, experience a radical shift towards authenticity, and unleash the courage to go after your dreams, then head to comparisonitis.com and get your copy and all my awesome extra goodies that I've created for you for free. Not only do you get the book, you will get the official Comparisonitis workbook, a gorgeous Comparisonitis wallpaper for your phone, my ebook, How to Create a Soul-Expanding Comparisonitis Book Club, not one, but two of my brand new 8D Zentone Advanced Brainwave Technology Meditations, which will give you one hour of meditation in just 11 minutes, plus two never-been-heard-or-released-before interviews with global spiritual thought leaders. Just head to comparisonitis.com and please share the book on social media and tell me your top takeaways. I cannot wait for you to read this book. Simon is not only a great friend, he is the founder of the hugely popular Plant Proof podcast and blog of the same name. He is a nutritionist and qualified physiotherapist. On top of his formal education, he spends hours and hours deciphering scientific studies so he can break down how to fuel your body to promote longevity and reduce the chance of developing disease while simultaneously achieving whatever health and fitness goals you might have. He is the plant-based food contributor to Chris Hemsworth's fitness app, Center, and in 2019, he opened a plant-based restaurant, Eden, in the Sydney neighborhood of Bondi. And in this episode, he shares about the devastating family health crisis that led to Simon's huge awakening around food and health, we also talk about the absolute best diet for your body and the exact percentage of whole foods to eat for optimal health. We also chat about why we can't keep waiting for the government or society to create change. We have to create the change that we want to see in the world. We also dive deep into the truth about the corrupt food industry and the tricky five-star rating system. We also dive deep into the mind-blowing study on processed food and the insane gimmicks that make you addicted to eating junk food. We also talk about how Simon's body and mind have dramatically changed since becoming plant-based. 
And we get a little sneak peek into Simon's life-changing book, which is out today. The proof is in the plants. It is essential reading for everyone. And we also talk about the essential nutrients that are crucial for optimal health and how to get more of them on your plate. And for everything that Simon and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 396. I am so excited to bring on Simon Hill, a dear friend of mine, one of the smartest humans I know. So let's get this party started with the incredible Simon Hill. Simon, welcome to the show. This has been a long time coming. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Well, you know, because <laughs> you made it for me. I did. I had a delicious bowl of oats that were topped with blueberries, a diverse range of nuts and seeds. There was cinnamon, love cinnamon. What else do we have on there? We had some plant-based yogurt on there. There was mango. Chia seeds. Chia seeds and now a watermelon as a snack. So it's been a good start to the day. Yum. Yep. And I had the same thing. So delicious. We are currently together, obviously in person, which is really cool to be able to do this in person and to have you here and to be able to nourish you like you have nourished me in the past. And I'm so excited to celebrate the launch of your first book, The Proof is in the Plants. And I'm so excited to have you here and to dive into it. But first, can you tell us why you wrote this book? Why does the world really need another diet book, another plant-based book? Like, Why did you feel compelled to share this? Well, it shouldn't. The world shouldn't need another diet book, let's put it that way. And that was a question I asked myself for a long time and, and worked with my publisher to decide what path we were going to take with this book and why, how was it going to be unique? How would this actually be different in a sense that it would make a difference to the reader who has no doubt picked up you know, probably a handful of different diet books over the years and has potentially jumped from diet to diet and is somewhat confused about what is the most optimal way to eat for our health and for the health of the planet. It's funny, before I go into the story of, of what inspired me, I'm still not sure whether I call myself an author. When do you call yourself an author? Is uh, that, I know. Is that, after, is that after publication date or? It still feels weird. And, and what is an author? I know. It still feels <laughs> weird. And I've done four. So I don't know. It's just, yeah. yeah. You can call yourself one now. Okay. Yeah. I might update my profile. Yeah. <laughs> Your Insta bio. <laughs> <laughs> the inspiration for this book, there was a few different moments in my life that I think planted seeds that ended up inspiring me to put pen to paper and to ultimately create what I think is a really powerful message. And the first is when I was 15 years old, my family, we were growing up in Melbourne, living in Melbourne, and we had a cabin that was about two hours out of Melbourne. It was beautiful. It was a mud brick house, I should say. And it was a place that we would spend a lot of time on weekends and sort of connect with nature and it was on the footsteps of the Yarra Valley. So particularly with that, we'd spend a lot of times driving 
through the Yarra Valley and meeting the owners of different vineyards. It's a wine district. And the point wasn't to drink alcohol. I was 15. The, the point was to spend these quality days with dad and he was spending the time with, with myself and my brother. And also we would, we would go to these very small vineyards and it wasn't something my dad said to me then, but in reflecting, I think he chose those small vineyards so we could get to know the owner and see their passion that they had for their craft. These were really special days. And on this one day, it was just my dad and I. So we'd gone out for the weekend to stay at this house in the woods. And we were out visiting the vineyards, driving back. And dad had a convertible MGB. These were amazing days. And I remember this vividly. We're driving back. My dad's a doctor, very well educated in the medical space and across the science very well published. He's in the academic space now. So right into research on vascular health and vascular disease. The reason why I say that is as we were driving home, he started to get pain in his chest and left shoulder. And being a doctor, he knew what was happening, but he really went into a state of denial and put a brave face on. Probably for his 15-year-old son sitting next to him, as we were driving in this really remote part of Victoria back to the, the house in the woods. And we got back home and he still had a brave face on and I checked in and he said everything was okay. So I ended up going to bed and then some early hours in the morning, I heard him clamoring around in the kitchen and I came out and he was very out of breath helpless kind of look on his face and he quite clearly was not not in a good place and he asked me to call the ambulance and as a 15 year old kid it's you know it was quite emotional it was a lot to see your dad who's this strong you know very resilient character kind of be brought to his knees and I called the ambulance because we were so remote after hearing how I described his condition, they sent a helicopter. And so fortunately, a helicopter came and he was having a severe heart attack. They flew him to the nearest hospital, which was half an hour or so by helicopter, much longer drive, 45 minutes perhaps by helicopter. And you went with him? I couldn't fit in the helicopter. So I had to follow in an ambulance with the paramedics so we were separated so i really didn't know at that stage what was happening so got to the hospital and after some hours the doctors came out and told us that they had saved his life and that he was doing much better now but then my brother had had by this time come to the, to the hospital as well and i vividly remember them I was very curious as to why this happened. Why did this happen to my dad? And I remember they said, well, we've taken your dad's history and his dad had a heart attack. These things can run in families, but it's okay. Your dad will be on medications now for the rest of his life, but they will help keep him healthy or healthier. And that left me with somewhat of a disempowering feeling because I ultimately thought, well, if that was my dad's fate because his dad 
then perhaps for my brother and I, that's our fate too. And my dad at this stage was 41. Whoa, that's Nick's age. Yeah. So he was not an old guy. He was 41. Like he was in his prime of his life with two young kids. The scary thing is that I didn't realize is he very much got a second chance at life. So 60% of sudden cardiac uh, arrests end in fatality. Then and there, usually within an hour, there's no symptoms beforehand, out of nowhere, no clinically diagnosed symptoms at least. They may have signs and symptoms that are sort of bubbling away under the, the surface, but they're not aware of yet. So he, unlike many people, he was very lucky to have a second chance. Fast forward some 10 years later, and I had finished my first degree. I was working as a sports physiotherapist, and my brother had come to me at this stage and said to me, hey, I've been doing some research, and I think you and I should look at our diets because given the history of cardiovascular disease in our family, from some of the information I've been coming across, it seems like we may not be eating the best way to promote good health long term. Is your brother older than you? How much older? Three years. So three years older. So he'd come across this information and he wanted to share it with me. And it was challenging for me because the information was suggesting that this diet that I saw as very, very healthy. My diet at that stage in in, you know my late teens and, and through my early twenties, I was working with AFL footballers. I was in that crowd of people who were very fit. There was a huge focus on animal protein. I didn't eat a whole lot of ultra-processed foods, but there was a lot of animal protein. That was the single most important thing to me, was how much protein for the day and getting enough calories. And then if there was some vegetables on the plate, that was a bonus. And he presented to me some information that challenged me. And as a younger brother and someone who had been in my undergraduate degree, my physiotherapy degree, I had learned how to read science and I did an honors thesis and performed my own study and published that. And so I knew how to read the science and he, after being challenged, I thought, well, I need to take some time here for myself and for my family and to go through this information and to to work out, is this diet that I've been eating that I'm just essentially just been assuming is the healthiest way to eat, is it actually serving me? Is there a way that I can eat where I can reduce my risk of cardiovascular disease and not follow in my father's footsteps? And, you know, I really wanted to prove my brother wrong. I really wanted to prove him wrong. I I really wanted to keep all the steak, all the chicken breast, all the salmon. I really wanted to keep that as the star of the plate. And As I started to go through different aspects of the research, it became very, very clear to me that while it may seem on face value that there is a lot of confusion around what humans should be eating more of and should be eating less of, the science really isn't that confused. Sure, there are ways that you can adapt to it based on a a theme and, and adapt to it in a way that works best for you as the individual, but the overarching characteristics and theme of a healthy diet are very, very clear in the literature. And that inspired me to then do a master's in nutrition. 
really get close to the research and to specialize in units that were focused on statistics and analyzing, working out how to understand what these studies were saying, not just relying on the abstract or the author's interpretations. More and more I read, the more I realized that this theme of healthy eating was very clear. And we can go into that at some stage or now if you want. Yes, definitely. Let's go. So where I landed and, and, and what I believe is very clear in the literature is that a healthy diet, the characteristics of a healthy diet are one where all or predominantly all calories are coming from whole plant foods. In my book, The Proof is in the Plants, I talk about that being around 85% or more calories coming from plants. And the reason for this is that when you adopt a dietary pattern like that, it is automatically low in saturated fat. It's automatically low in trans fats. It's automatically low in dietary cholesterol. It's automatically low in ultra-processed foods because you're eating whole foods. And at the same time, it's automatically rich in plant protein rich in unsaturated fats, rich in fiber, rich in phytonutrients. There's over 25,000 phytonutrients that we barely have a grip on. We know that they have anti-inflammatory and anti-carcinogenic, antioxidant properties, but we really are only starting to learn about all of these different phytonutrients. What we know is that when people eat them in abundance, they tend to have better health outcomes. So this theme became very, very apparent for me. And really, a number, of, a number of diets or labels that exist out there, you could adopt those on this theme. You could do a very well-planned out, thoughtfully planned out paleo diet that is plant-predominant. That's true. You could do that. You could even do a very plant-predominant ketogenic diet. You could do a pescatarian diet, a vegetarian diet, or a, a whole food vegan diet. And what that means is it gives people the flexibility of choosing whichever path they want to go and still being able to adopt a diet that is health promoting, will reduce their risk of developing chronic disease and increase their, their chance of having you know, more healthy years of life. There is, you mentioned so many different diets just then, paleo, ketogenic. There's so many different things. There's a lot of confusion. I get lots of DMs. I'm sure you probably get a million more than I get about, I'm so confused. I don't know what to eat. Where do I start? There's three people in this room right now, you and I and my husband, Nick, and we're all plant-based, yet we all have slightly different takes. There's not one size fits all. For someone listening who is really confused, you've shared in the book that the proof is in the plants, the science is there. You shared the story. You couldn't deny it when your brother was saying to you, try this, and you wanted to prove him wrong, but you're reading the science. You couldn't deny it. So if someone is confused, where can they start? Why is there so much confusion? I think a really great place to start, and it's actually part one of the book, is why we're confused. Yeah. We need to understand why it is we are unsure about what we should be eating. Mm. And I go through in part one, Diet of Confusion, I go through, there's, there's three different chapters in there, and I cover everything from the food environment that we are 
living in amongst and how that dictates our food choices. In there, I cover things like the food industry, the way that the ultra-processed food industry works to create an environment that ultimately, as of today, sees the average Australian getting 42% of their daily calories from ultra-processed foods. That's not just happening by chance. That's designed. So the environment is essentially designed for us to fail. There are forces at play that we need to be aware of. And when we are aware of them, that's the first step of seeing them, identifying them, and moving around them, navigating around them, and choosing the healthier option. So that's a big education piece, and and we can dive into some of these examples. But I do want to say, actually, I don't think we should have to go and learn this information to make healthy food choices. I think it should be the default. You shouldn't need a nutrition degree like me to understand how to make healthy food choices. So while my book is very much about helping the reader, my message to them is don't sit around and wait for the government to change and the environment to change. Take it into your own hands now. Here's why our environment is designed for us to fail. Ultimately, though, I would love to see Australia make changes to policy and to legislation, which makes it much easier for the average Australian without having any, any formal nutrition education to just make the healthy choice by default. That's where we need to get to ultimately. Now, in terms of this chapter, and perhaps we go through a few of the examples that the listeners may find interesting. Yeah, let's do it. The ultra processed food industry big, large transnational corporate companies, they want to be seen as though they're doing good while doing as little as they they can in terms of regulation. They want to self-regulate. So it looks like they care about the health of the consumer. But let's be honest, the main priority of these companies is their bottom line. It's profits, not your health. That's the first thing that you need to be very, very conscious of. Let that sink in, everyone. Like, let that sink in. That's big because we were talking over dinner last night about how there's some people in my life that just believe the marketing, believe that because there's fruit on the box, that it's healthy. But you have to remember their bottom line is profits, not your health. And that's a perfect example that you just said, Dan, about putting fruit on the front of a box. For example, (laughs) certain cereals Cereals, right that have a very tiny amount of dried fruit in there sugary dried fruit absolutely and you could be led to believe that that is equivalent to eating a handful of blueberries but it's not and one example that i talk about in the book is the health star rating system have you seen that yes for for people who perhaps haven't if you're australian you will have seen it it's the the, the stars on the front of the box and it could be three, three and a half, four, four and a half, five stars and is meant to give you an idea as to how healthy that food is, right? This was government-led but very, very, very much influenced by industry. They were actively involved in the process of creating this and lobbied against a lot of changes. Just to give you an example of this five-star system, as it stands right now, Many types of fruit would not get five stars, the highest rating. Fruit wouldn't get a five. Many types of fruit. So like an apple would not get a five star. Not sure on a particular on an apple. I think an apple, no, I think an apple might not get five stars. Wow. And what it comes down to is 
they haven't differentiated between added sugar and natural sugars in their products. So they're evaluating a food, the healthfulness of a food, just based on the sugar. That's one of the, the aspects that goes into the scoring system. There are other problems with this system. So it's a compensatory system. That's what they call it, which means if you add what they call a negative attribute like sugar, you add refined sugar in, you can offset that and not lose points on your scoring if you add something positive in like fiber or protein. That is absurd. What's perhaps even more absurd is that it's not mandatory. So when you are walking down the aisles, there's a reason you only really see three and a half, four, four and a half, five stars. Is anything five? Like, is there many things five stars? There are things that are five stars and many of them are nowhere near as healthy as eating a whole food. Most of them, in fact. And that's because that system is rigged to allow for negative attributes to be offset by positive attributes. There's huge problems with this system and it needs to be completely revamped, deconstructed and, and, and redone at some stage. And it's not mandatory. So if you have a product that is going to get a one, a one and a half, two, two and a half, you're just not going to opt into putting that on your packaging. So it's a very misleading system in, in, in many ways. And that's just one example of what the industry is doing to sort of curate the environment. And I talk about, it's not just what we see on shelf. There's also a lot of thought that goes into the formulation of those foods. Those foods are created by food scientists with you, Melissa, in mind. How can we see Melissa consumes more of this? How can we get Melissa to overconsume that? And they're very, very thoughtfully, scientifically crafted, these formulations, to reach a bliss point that nature can't compete with. Nature cannot compete with that. So when you're used to buying in and eating these foods, the appeal of the piece of fruit diminishes. It's no longer there. And so you end up in this cycle of, of eating trap. You're trapped eating these ultra-processed foods, which I said earlier are making up 42% of the average Australian's calories per day, which is around 850 calories. It is crazy. No wonder there's so much confusion. and. It's like brainwashing. And there's a fantastic study that came out last year, a metabolic ward study performed by a researcher called Kevin Hall. He's very well known for studying obesity and what leads us to overconsumption of food and calories. And he did this very eloquent study. So a metabolic ward is considered a gold standard for looking at how certain foods that we eat affect biomarkers of health, be it body weight or cholesterol, things like that, right? It's very, very reliable because we have these people locked into a hospital for a couple of weeks or a month and we can track every bit of food they eat. Different to like running an experiment in the real world and people are sneaking things in on the side. So he set up this trial, really interesting trial. He wanted to look at ultra-processed foods versus unprocessed foods. And he wanted to, to look at their effect on appetite and satiety. How well do these foods fill you up, right? But he went a step further and he said, I am going to match carbohydrates, protein, fat, fiber, salt, and sugar between the two different diets, processed and unprocessed. I'm going to match all of those. 
And what he wanted to identify was that, is there an inherent property to do with these ultra-processed foods? Beyond just the nutrients that they contain, is there something else about them that's causing us to overconsume them? Each subject did each diet for two weeks, and then they crossed over. Different, some did the ultra-processed diet first, and then the process, and then vice versa. And the results were fascinating, mind-blowing. Even though all of these macronutrients and calories were matched, the amount of sugar matched, the amount of fiber matched, right? Because a lot of the time, the hypothesis has been, well, whole foods are more filling because they contain more fiber. But he matched the fiber. Even still, people, when people were eating the ultra-processed foods, they ate 500 calories more per day, which resulted in one kilo on average kilogram of weight gain in the two weeks when eating the ultra processed and in the unprocessed group, one kilogram of weight loss. So we're talking a two kilogram difference in terms of, of body weight. The really interesting thing was they went back over the study and sort of the researchers made their kind of hypothesis as to what was, what was going on. You know, how did this happen? And they came down to two main reasons. The first is the ultra processed foods. People were eating those meals nearly twice as fast. They were you know, less mindful. There was less food volume. They were able to shovel them down much quicker, which ultimately led to the overconsumption of calories. And that's something to be really, really mindful of. These ultra processed foods, it's quick to consume a large amount of calories, a lot of calories per bite. And the second was that adding fiber to an ultra-processed food is different to the natural fiber that exists in whole plants and has a different effect when we consume an apple or we consume some legumes. Part of the fiber that's in there goes into our large intestine and causes bacteria, feeds on it. So prebiotic fiber, a bacteria that lives in our colon, large intestine, feeds on it and the downstream effect, one of the downstream effects of that is the production of appetite-suppressing hormones. And if we are ultra-processing foods and adding fiber back in, be it the same amount, we don't get that same production of hormones that tell us, slow down, you're full. So really eloquently designed study that really sheds light on the way that these ultra-processed foods are inherently, inherently going to result in the overconsumption of calories. It's wild. It is wild. And I think about so many people that are so confused and have all of these health issues and are scratching their head and maybe this is their light bulb moment hearing something like that. And you've got all of this science in the book, which is just so amazing. And once your brother shared this information with you, and you tried to prove him wrong, well, you wanted to desperately prove him wrong. Did you start making these shifts? And how did you personally feel? Like what happened with you in your body once you made these shifts? Because you've been plant-based now. Six years. Six years. Yeah. Right. So six years since you had that conversation with your brother, how do you feel? What have you noticed in your own body? I feel great. I didn't have a serious health condition coming into it, but I feel as fit as I've always felt. I said to you yesterday, I ran 15 kilometers yesterday. I was talking to Nick and I just <laughs> felt like I could keep running. Just and, a lazy 15. And, and I'm not a runner, you know, 
I feel fit. I feel like I recover really well. I feel sharp in the mind. And, you know, I think on a more spiritual level, if we want to go there, I feel like my actions are more aligned with my true values and beliefs that were always there, but I just really hadn't stopped and paused and thought about them and, and recognized those. So I speak a little bit about that in the book. You know, I my message, this book's not written just for someone who's vegan or wants to become vegan. It's really written for anyone. And I very much lay the science out as it is. I think that for me and for many people, the compelling reason to adopt a diet that is sort of as plant exclusive as possible is often other factors beyond just the science and the human health. And and that's where the pillars of planetary health, the health of the environment, and and also all life on the planet, all of the creatures that we share this this place with. So I think for me, moving down that spectrum and becoming more aware of how my food choices were affecting those pillars. And and that actually came some way down the path. It wasn't something I connected with at the start. It was actually years down the track until I fully was connecting with that and realizing how much more at peace I felt with the way that I was just navigating through life. So yeah, I would say, you know, overall, I feel that the diet is serving me. I feel fabulous from a mental and physical perspective. Yes. And you're doing good for the planet and for the animals, which is beautiful. And a lot of people enter a plant exclusive diet because of whether it's a health issue or maybe they're just so passionate about the environment or so passionate about the animals. And for me, it was all three all at once. I was just, I have to, I have to make this shift. So one of the many things I love about you and your work is you have this innate ability to rummage through the science and the data and distill it in easy to digest ways for us on your podcast and in the book specifically of the book. Tell us what happens in each of those sections. Okay, sure. So we've got the introduction and then we're straight into part one, which is diet of confusion. We touched on a couple of things there. There's a lot more in there and I I cover things like the way that our healthcare system has been hijacked in many ways and is really sick care. And I talk about how that's not serving us so well. I talk about nutritionism, this huge distraction where we are reducing food down to the nutrients it contains and missing the big picture, the foods that those nutrients are coming in and what it's packaged with and what are the health outcomes associating with eating those foods. We have that information. We should be using that information. The problem is the food industry loves to zoom in on nutrients. It helps them sell their products. As long as we're focused in on protein, as long as we're focused in on low fat, we will continue to buy into their products and we will continue to be kept at a distance from what matters most, which is the overall dietary pattern, what I described earlier and what I describe in the book, which is a diet where around 85% or more of someone's total calories come from whole plant foods. We're talking fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, herbs, spices, you name it, all that good stuff. So that's that's part one. There's a lot in there, but I think it gives a really 
nice overview of why we are confused and also a bit of a history as to like how how did we actually end up here because i must say some of the the sort of ultra processed foods in many ways actually were beneficial at a certain point in time coming into the 20th century the diseases and the problems that we were facing are very very different today we had a rapidly expanding population but at the diseases that we were experiencing were nutrient deficiency related diseases like beriberi and pellagra and scurvy food was scarce we had problems with food access and so it made sense to have this change in in the way that we did agriculture at that time to address those particular problems of that day but we didn't have the vision to understand okay, we're solving that problem, but what are the long-term implications of setting people up where their calories are coming from these foods? And now we have, of course, much better food access today, at least in developed countries. So we can hopefully sit back, look at the science, understand we have great food access and make better choices again. I go through all of that. And then in, in part two, this is more diet of science. This is where we're going to look at what the science shows in terms of how does food affect risk of things like a heart attack or stroke, type 2 diabetes, obesity, dementia, not just long-term conditions of the brain, but how does our food affect our cognition today? How can we light up our brain today? I talk about, we have a chapter on, on longevity. So what, are, what do we need to understand about our food and the way we eat in terms of how long we live? So in the book, I've really made sure it's not, the book's not just about living until you're 100. I want you to live well. So we're going, we're going to dive into adding not only years to your life, but life to your years and improving the quality of life being really, really important because ultimately, as you break that down, it's allowing you to do more of what you love for longer. And that's, that was, you know, something that I had written on a piece of paper when I was writing the book, like at the top at the very beginning something that I would keep coming back to as to what am I trying to actually achieve here because you can begin to get a bit lost in terms of you know just talking about these diseases what is the actual purpose here what are we trying to do I then have a chapter on dedicated to all life on the planet and this is where we consider how our food choices affect the world around us so this conversation is becoming more and more important our population is fast approaching 10, 11 billion people and we have to seriously consider how are we going to fit all of these people into the world and feed them in a sustainable manner. And for many years, the conversation around sustainability was dominated by energy and rightly so because energy does make up about 75% of total carbon emissions. But the agriculture system makes up nearly a quarter and we have solutions in energy that will be adopted and, and, and no doubt will come to fruition over the next 20 years. The reality is we won't meet climate goals unless diets also drastically change along the way. So I walk through in this chapter, what is it, why do we need to consider our environment? And when it comes to our food, what are the aspects of our planet's health that we need to think about? And it's not just carbon emissions. That often dominates the conversation too. And that kind of reduces down this, this conversation around environmental health a little bit too much. There are other very important pillars like biodiversity and how much land we're using 
and how much water we're using. Like water scarcity is a real thing. So I go through and always use the best available science to explain what are the most important things that we need to understand here? What are the distractions? Because there are a few distractions when it comes to what matters most in terms of agriculture and sustainability. So I step through that. There's a bunch of really nice images in there as well, because it is a lot of information. There's a lot of information in that chapter and a lot of numbers and figures. And so I have designed quite a few illustrations to, to help the reader make sense of things, particularly if you're a visual learner like I am. Beautiful. And then what about the third section? By the time you're at the third section, you will have a very, very good understanding, at least I hope, of why we're confused and why we landed here what the science shows in terms of our health and the health of the planet and feeling inspired to perhaps want to make further changes to your play or perhaps you, you're already well down that path but you want to optimize the way you're eating and you want to feel more confident about the foods that you're putting on your That's what part three, Making the Shift, is all about. So in this part, I go through what I call the, the plant-proof principles and I have eight or so principles there that sort of guide the chapter and there are things like the food pyramid that I've created there is a section on gut health and the importance of diversity in one's diet there is a section on nutrients of focus is what I call them so of course one of the the natural things for people to think about when they are changing their diet, particularly if they're reducing animal products, often they will, will think about, well, what about this nutrient? What about that nutrient? So this is that section where I cover the eight nutrients of focus that I think people should be conscious of, understand why they are nutrients of focus, why they're important for your body, and how to set up your nutrition to ensure that you're getting them in adequate amounts and optimizing your health. Can you share two of those nutrients sure. of focus? Absolutely. So one of them is, I'm not going to go with the standard B12 because of course that's in there. One of them is omega-3s. So in plant foods, the omega-3s are short chain omega-3 called ALA. And they're in our flaxseed, chia seeds, and walnuts, super healthy foods, amazing foods to, to eat on the regular. But they, that form of omega-3 has to be converted by our body into the long chain form, which is DHA and EPA. Hopefully, I don't lose anyone here, but I'll, I'll double back to summarize this. So in the plant-based foods, ALA, we eat those, whether it's walnuts or flax seeds, and then our body converts ALA into DHA and EPA. And people may have heard of DHA and EPA before. It's the type of omega-3 found in fish, for example. Now, DHA and EPA is particularly important for brain health, but also for cardiovascular health. There is a very big question as to whether someone needs to supplement omega-3, like a DHA EPA oil, if they're not eating a lot of animal products. And to date, the science is not that clear. We would expect if there was an issue converting ALA to DHA and EPA from the walnuts and chia seeds, we would expect people eating more plant-focused diets like vegetarians or vegans to have perhaps a higher risk of cardiovascular disease. But they actually have a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. 
I want to sort of underline that or bold that. That's a really important thing to understand. However, there is a school of thought that these people could do even better. So even though they have a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease compared to their omnivorous counterparts in various studies and in the major meta-analysis that summarized the various studies, there is a school of thought that if you are a vegetarian or you are a vegan, the addition of an omega-3 algae oil could provide even better benefit. So I talk about this in the book and the idea of adding an algae oil supplement as an insurance policy. You're already in a position of decreased risk. This may improve your health further. And it doesn't seem to be like a risky supplement to take at all. It appears to be very, very safe. So that's omega-3s. I also talk about calcium. And this one comes up quite a bit as well because if someone's removing dairy from their diet, dairy is seen as a great source of calcium, which it is. It does contain 300 milligrams of calcium per cup. It is a convenient source of calcium. We can't argue against that for sure. If someone is, I guess firstly, how much calcium do we need? Here in Australia, the RDI for calcium is between 1,000 and 1,300 milligrams, depending on male, female, pregnant, breastfeeding, etc. In the UK, the calcium RDI is only 700 milligrams. So there is still a bit of debate as to how much calcium do we actually need. And when you look at the large studies looking at calcium intake and bone fractures, risk of fracture, you actually do see there's a huge study that I cite in the book out of Sweden looked at a very, very large number of postmenopausal women from Sweden. And once they hit 700 milligrams of calcium per day, there was actually no additional protection. So it does seem like 700 milligrams of calcium per day is probably adequate. What's really, really, really important here to understand is that building strong bones, as much as we've reduced it down to calcium, it is a team effort and it relies on good vitamin D. It relies on good amounts of vitamin K from dark leafy greens. It relies on B12. And it relies on a healthy lifestyle that has some form of resistance, be it body weight or using bands or working out in the gym because our body structure reflects function. When we are placing the body under resistance, that is a stimulus for that bone to then remodel and grow back stronger. So we have to get all of those components of our diet right in this section on calcium. My recommendations in there are for people to at least make sure they're getting around 700 milligrams of calcium per day. And I'm not asking people to count all of their milligrams of different nutrients. It's more about showing you where can you get that. Here are some examples and you know, should you want to make it a bit easier for you, here are some foods like calcium set tofu or plant-based milks that are calcium fortified that might make it easier for you to achieve that target. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before. We shouldn't be focusing on the one single nutrient. It is a whole holistic thing. It all works together to work in your body. Well, you know, and this, is, this speaks perfectly to that, right? The countries that have the highest consumption of dairy have the highest incidence of osteoporosis. Go figure. So that doesn't, I'm not saying that dairy causes osteoporosis there, but I'm saying that just consuming a large amount of calcium doesn't guarantee healthy bones. It is a team effort. 
you have to get lots of things right in your overall lifestyle and in your overall diet, looking at it you know, from a holistic point of view. Exactly. That's where we kind of tend to go wrong is when we pull one thing out and just focus on that, just focus on the protein or just focus on the omega-3s. Everything works together. It's beautiful. So what else do you cover in part three? Anything else? Yeah, so there's eight plant-proof principles. I walk through each of those. We look at strategies for making the shift and you know, starting small, simple swaps. There's a table in there around simple swaps. There's information in there around setting up your pantry, setting up your kitchen, thinking about why these changes are important to you. What is the underlying meaning behind the changes that you're about to make or have been making? And recognizing the importance of that as something that you can always come back to. And I will say, I think the book is best read from start to finish. But once it's finished, I feel like many people will come back to part three. And that's the being the practical aspect. You don't have to remember everything the first time you read that. A lot of things are going to land as you get out there and you experiment and you start speaking to friends or listening to other podcasts and things will land and you'll come back to that section in the book and over time your confidence will just improve and improve and improve and the aim is to get you to a point where you're protected against misinformation. You are so in charge of your health, so in charge that when the next news headline pops up or a friend sends you something about the latest fad diet, you are immunized, so to speak, from that sort of influence. And you're not second guessing yourself. You're in charge of your health. You're going down that path and you understand it is the evidence-based way to eat. And it's the ultimate way for you to reduce your risk of these diseases that are so pervasive, so pervasive in our society to the point where we've accepted them as normal. Yeah. Like we were saying over dinner last night, there's some elderly people in my life that just say, oh, that's part of getting older. And it's just accepting that as the narrative. And I'm like, no, that's your narrative. And I'm going to choose a different one. Thank you. Because for me, I want to live till like I'm 120 and I want those years to be thriving. I want to be running around with my great, great grandchildren. I want to be flexible. I want to be, I don't want to not be able to get on the floor and play with them because I'm so sore or got arthritis or I don't want to forget their names. One of my friends had to say goodbye to her mom last year from dementia. And that was the hardest thing. Her mom didn't even know who she was. That is so tough. I love this book because it really does clear up the confusion, gives you the science, and then shows you exactly what to do and talks you through it step by step. Yeah, and I do make room in that chapter for the reader to take the information and adapt to it in a way that works for them. So while it is a guide, it's not an exact protocol that you have to follow to the T. There are principles in there. I want the reader to then go out and explore and ultimately land in a place that feels right for them. And that's so important because there is no one size fits all. We're all different. You are a very, very muscular man. I am a pregnant 
woman right now. So our needs are going to be very different. So we need to take that into consideration. And I love that you leave room in the book for people to tune in and to explore within themselves, which I think is so important. There is no this way or the highway. Let's just explore these concepts. Let's look at the science and let's clear up that confusion so that, like you said, you feel confident within yourself to make these choices and knowing that you're doing great for your body, you're doing great for the planet and great for the animals. It's really beautiful. I think it's such a cohesive path that you put people on through the book. I feel like every single human needs to read it and will get so much out of it. And speaking of books, I would love to hear, besides your book, what is one other book you would put in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world if you could choose one? And it doesn't have to be nutrition-focused. It could be whatever. I love green lights. Green lights. Yeah. What's Matthew that about? McConaughey. Haven't read it. And I'd put it in the audio form because he has a great voice. Wow. Is yeah, it good? It's very good. Green Lights, fantastic book. It's a powerful message about looking at things in your life that you might see them as negative, but is that going to provide you with the inspiration to do something extraordinary? So it's a powerful message from Matthew McConaughey there. I would leave it at that book. I think that would be And enough. we'll put yours in there too. We can throw mine in yeah. yours for yeah. comparisonitis. Yes. What am I talking about? I should have said comparisonitis first. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. That's so sweet. But And we'll link to all of those three books in the show notes so people can grab them. But yeah, I think they're three pretty powerful books that the younger you read, the better. Mm. Because, I mean, I wish I had all this information, but everything's perfect and I had my own journey, my life transformation when I was 23, 24, and you had yours with your dad and then your brother coming to you and everything unfolds exactly the way it's supposed to. So if you're listening to this and you're in your 40s or your 50s or your 60s, there's no late. It's better now than never. And you can make these subtle shifts right now. So I want to encourage everyone to grab the book. Proof is in the plant. It's amazing. but. I want to hear now, talk us through a typical, I know no two days are ever the same, but a typical day in your life. What are your routines and rituals? When do you work out? What do you eat? Do you meditate? Tell us a typical day in your life. So yes, meditation is involved in the morning. There's usually a followed by a swim. I live in Bondi, so that's pretty easy for me. Finish that, I'll come back and usually have breakfast at that stage. I will then actually, before doing any workout or exercise, I have got now into the habit of planning out my day and just understanding what are the main things that I would like to achieve on that day that will leave me feeling good. And beneath that, what are some extra things that if I get time, I'll get to them. Some of those hang around there for a bit. Uh, <laughs> I use that little bit of time after breakfast to kind of structure up the day and just get clear in the mind. And that was actually something new that I introduced. I, I was working out earlier, um, but I found I find I get a better workout in once I understand where my day is going and I can actually then get into the zone a bit more with that workout and not be stressing about meetings or phone calls or things that I have on for the day. So there's that. I'll do some form of training. My training at the moment is a mixture of 
running and swimming and gym workouts that I do. I'm trying to move a little bit away from the pure strength training and do a little bit more endurance exercise, setting myself a few goals for next year in, in the endurance arena. So that's a new learning curve for me, which has involved a lot of research about long distance running and riding and stuff that I haven't done before. So it's cool to explore that. And then I have a day of usually a mixture of preparing for podcasts or reading different studies. I'm reading at least three to five new studies a week in detail to stay on top of the literature to make sure that I have my finger on the pulse. There's always new studies coming out. A new study doesn't change the way we think about food overnight. The scientific consensus takes a long, long time to be carved out, but you can always learn more and drill down more on certain specific areas. So that, and then, of course, eating really well across the day, preparing as much of my food as I can personally. I find that one of the first things I come back to if I feel like I'm a bit run down, a bit all over the place, which happens to all of us, is preparing my own food. It's just a core pillar that I know when I am doing that consistently, I just feel so much better than relying on eating a lot of food out. But life does get busy and sometimes you fall into that trap. So you try and navigate it as best as possible. I like to read books and like an early dinner. I like, a, I like to have a dinner around 6 p.m., between 6 and 7. And then Tanya, my girlfriend, and I will usually do something, whether it's go for an evening walk or sit around and talk and in bed early, up early. So that's the kind of typical day around Bondi for me. Before COVID, my life involved a lot more travel, which I was a little nervous about losing. And there are aspects of travel that I miss. I love that feeling of, of landing in a new place and whether it's catching up with old friends that you haven't seen in a long time or exploring just a completely new town or city and getting to know a few people in that area and their way of life. But on the flip side, I've really enjoyed having more time around Bondi and just, you know, spend doing things that I wouldn't have ordinarily have done in my own town. So that's the average day for me. It involves good food, time with friends and exercise, a little bit of meditation and, you know, quite cliche Bondi, I guess. <laughs> I love it. So beautiful. So nice. Living the dream. That's it. So I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So what is one thing that we could do today for our health? Just one thing that everyone can do. Drink more water. Yep. Love it. Easy, simple. We can all do that. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas of our life. Travel more. Yes, if we can. Travel locally. Yes, exactly. Explore towns in your local area that you haven't been to. Yeah, I love that. I've loved doing that during COVID. It's been awesome. Camping, going just local. It's been amazing. And the last one, what is one thing we can do for more love in our life? Give love. Give love and you shall receive love. That's it. This has been so amazing. Is there anything else you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't get to ask you? I mean, there's a bunch of science in the book. So 
I just encourage anyone listening who is you know, really interested in understanding what we know from nutrition science about healthy eating to really dive into it. And I think you'll learn a lot. I think if you're sitting on the other end listening to this and you are confused, you have been confused about what to eat, I just want to reiterate that that's totally normal. That's actually expected. The way the environment we live in and the changing headlines that we're exposed to make it almost impossible to know what to eat. Those headlines are changing for a reason because if you do know what to eat, you have no reason to come back and keep tuning in. So I want you to understand that it's not through any fault of your own at all. And if all of this information sounds like new information to you, not to feel bad about dietary choices that you've made in the past or not to get too fixated on the end goal, but just to commit to learning more and to making small changes. And I trust that you will ultimately land in a place that works for you and works for your family and, you know, you will enjoy great health. That's beautiful. I think the not beating yourself up for the past stuff is really important. Just choose again. You can make a great choice in this moment. Absolutely. And that's all it takes. So I want to thank you for all the work that you do in the world. You are not only a dear friend, but you're such an inspiration to Nick and I. And we always have such great conversations around the table. It's just beautiful to have you here physically with us. It's awesome. You help so many people with your podcast, with your book, with your website and your restaurant that you have, your plant-based restaurant that you have. You're educating. You've dedicated your life to helping and educating and serving people. So I want to know what I and the listeners can do to give back to you today. How can we serve you? Well, you've certainly done enough. I would just appreciate if you continued to share the knowledge. Pick it up, soak it up, share it with a friend or a family member who you care about and who you would like to see make healthier choices in their life. And you know that's all I need. Beautiful. And we will link to it in the show notes. Everyone, grab yourself a copy or 10, buy it for your friends, give it as Christmas presents, birthday presents. It's one of those gifts that is just going to help so many people. So grab a copy. It is amazing. Simon Hill, thank you so much for being here and for being you and for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us today. Thank you, Melissa. Don't forget to head to comparisonitis.com to get your copy of my latest book and all the free goodies that go with it. I cannot wait for you to read it and to hear what you think. I really think that this is one of the most important episodes on health that we could all get so much out of. I want to encourage everyone to go and grab his book and buy as many copies as you want for your friends and family. It's such a good book. I got so much out of this episode. I get so much out of every conversation that I have with Simon. Whenever we catch up, Nick, Simon, and I just totally geek out on nutrition and health and wellness, and we just love it so much. So I hope you got a lot out of today's show. And if you did, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. 
And speaking of review of the week, I want to read this week's review. And it is a five-star review from The Nourishing Midwife. And it's titled, Melissa Ambrosini Hits It Every Time. And she says, Melissa's podcasts are something I love coming back to again and again, not just because of her innate ability to talk about topics that just seem to hit the spot in that moment, but because of her ability to provide variety over a broad range of topics with truth, honest, raw enthusiasm, and a beautiful, open, feminine energy that I love. Such a refreshing podcast from this beautiful lady. Thank you so much, honey. I am so grateful for that kind, loving review. And as a little thank you, I want to gift you one of my top four favorite products. And that is a pair of Melissa glasses from Blue Blocks. So just send me an email to hello at melissaambrosini.com and we will send them out to you. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you get from each show. So please continue to come and share that with me. And for everything that Simon and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 396. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Before I go, don't forget if you are a female coach, consultant, or service provider wanting to take your business to six or seven figures, check out SheLaunch. All you have to do is head to SheLaunch.com, watch the free training on that page, and book in your free call. That's SheLaunch.com. Head there right now, and I cannot wait to meet and work with you and take you and your business to the stars. Now is the time, my friend.